Amen. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. We are in a series called Why I Love Jesus. We want to fall in love with Jesus over and over again. Maybe you've been uh, grow up in church for a while, and we're going to just reevaluate why we love Jesus and to be evangelistic. We want to tell people how awesome He is. And this morning's, I want to talk to you about being saved by grace. Saved by grace. Uh, I was thinking uh, this week, reflecting on this message, and uh, I had a thought come into my mind. And I was saying, "Was Keith, where does your kindness end?" And you know, I was thinking, so, you know, I'm I'm a moderately compassionate person. That's what I was thinking in my eyes. I'm a moderately compassionate person. I know I can be better. There's always room for growth, right? And Keith Harris, he's got his issues, and I was thinking, well, you know, God, I'm a moderately compassionate person, and he's like, well, what does that mean? Well, and then he started dealing with me, and you know, and I'll give you an example. Maybe you've been there and done that. If you can think about maybe uh, you've had a neighbor or a coworker or a friend, maybe even a family member, and you know, you would sacrifice for them. Perhaps you would mow their yard, or maybe you would fix something in their house, or maybe they got into a bad streak, and you know, you begin to offer things and uh, care for them, or give them money, or give them food, or, or again, uh, mow their yard, repair something on their house, whatever. But have you ever gotten to that place where you realize, well, and you find out, well, maybe the reason they're in dire straits is because you find out. They can't keep a job. They keep getting fired or, or they've spent their money uh, not very wisely. And then you start thinking, here's what I start thinking. Well, do they deserve my help? Do they, do they really deserve it? You know, if they would just act right and think right and live right, maybe they wouldn't be in such a bad place. And, and that's my natural self. And the Lord convicted me of that this week. And I was in a sit- specific situation. I had been helping someone out and I thought, well, man, if they would just... You know, try a little bit. Maybe they wouldn't need my help so much anymore, and I wouldn't have to do this for them all the time. And I began to think about that, and even look. And sometimes we can look in the news, and we can see people in the world, and you can start. You can think those thoughts. You can say, "Well, man, if they would just act right, you know, and they go a little better for them, or if they would just do better, or think right, or or live right, or change this, or change that, it might work out for them." And we find ourselves judging so many in the world who are making poor decisions and ungodly choices. And that scripture came to mind that God had lavished me in grace. And it was like, ouch, right? God had lavished me in grace. And I thought about this story in Matthew 18, verses 22 through 25, where Jesus gives the illustration of what he's... Uh, talking about it in the gospel, he says, hey, well, there's this, this slave, and he owed his king an enormous amount of debt, 10,000 talents, uh, 10,000 talents, and he could not pay it. And so he comes to this king, and he begs, and he pleads for mercy, because it is millions of dollars of debt. I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary uh, amount of debt. And so seeing the compassion, uh, this king's compassion, and he sees this pardon of this person. He's so repentant. He's asking for pardon. He's so a longing for this. And he knows he can't pay it and he's distraught. So the king moved in his heart as grace and forgives him of his debt. And lo and behold, that slave goes on and he finds a man who owed him only a hundred denarii. Even a lesser amount of money. And he even chokes the man. He says, you need to pay me now what you owe me. 
But he couldn't repay, so he throws that man in prison for just a tiny amount. And the king hears about him and filled with righteous indignation, he calls that slave, he says, you wicked slave, you should have had the same mercy on that man that I had on you. And because of your unrighteousness and what you've done and your lack of mercy and empathy for your brother, he threw him in prison and tortured him until the time he could repay. And what Jesus is doing there, he is giving the illustration of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, what it means to be a Christian. Saying that God has forgiven you and me 10 million times more than anyone could ever offend you or owe you. And that we should be so caught up in the immense mercy and love and favor of our God that anybody who owes us anything, we can so freely forgive because we have been so freely forgiven. And what I look at that and I say, I say, well, you know, as I go through this Christian life, I want to say that, yes, I live that verse out. But when I really look at my life and look at the attitudes of my heart, I find out I'm not as gracious as I think I am. Because I easily judge people on TV, I easily judge people in the world, and I easily can hold those grudges or think those thoughts about people who don't know any better, or who haven't had the revelation of God's grace, or who are living in sin. And I know that I was the debtor. And I'm complaining about their debt. And that really, that this point that sticks out in this is that Jesus is saying, those who cannot have the same kind of compassion I give, they are guilty of hellfire and punishment. And I look at that and say, Lord, help me, because, God, I am in this story. Sometimes I like to be that king or that judge that pronounce the judgment on the lost and dying world, but as Christians, I am that forgiven slave. And if we do not respond to the grace of God in a like manner, the Bible is very clear. We will be guilty of hellfire. And that should be a sobering moment for me in how I respond to the grace of God. How do you and I reveal the grace of God to a lost and dying world? Am I critical of those who are around me who are unsaved, uh, who haven't had the revelation of Jesus Christ? Am I a good steward of His manifold grace? Do I represent a radical grace to my community, and am I gracious in return to other people? And so I want us to go back to basics a little bit this morning and ask ourselves, why do I love Jesus? And I want us to be able to say, because I am saved by grace. How many people are glad to be saved by grace? Somebody say amen. I'm saved by grace. And so I want you to remember this today. If you forget anything else I say, is that if you've got grace, give grace. If you've got grace, then give grace. How many people have got grace? Amen. So what has He done for us? How do you have grace? Let's look at Titus chapter 3, verse 4. And I want you, I want to just talk just for a moment about how we've gotten grace, how we received grace, and then I want to talk about how we give grace. Very simple. Let's just keep it simple this morning. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. And if you're there, somebody say, Amen. Amen. But when the kindness, everybody say kindness, kindness of our God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared... He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, everybody say deeds, 
deeds or works which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His what? His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now I have a few words in my uh, text right here highlighted. And I want to say kindness and deeds and Holy Spirit and grace. Those are the things I'm, I wanted to focus on out of that passage today. That there is an unmerited favor. That is the definition of grace. Grace means unmerited favor. And Paul, writing to his son of faith, Titus, is saying... He gave us unmerited favor, which results in this great promise of this Holy Spirit. So I'm going to break that out and talk about unmerited, and then talk about favor, and then talk about this promise. And what is unmerited? Unmerited means what? Without merit. There's no merit. It means that I have no leg to stand on. It means that there is nothing that I could have done. And specifically, he's saying, just like this unrighteous slave who stood before this righteous king, he stood there with no basis of anything. He stood there with no ability to pay the debt. He stood there, nothing he could do could get him out of this situation. And what we're looking at in the Christian life today is asking us this question, who are you and how do you stand before God without Christ's forgiveness? You know, I uh, realize in a world today, we want to really know that verse where He pardons us and you know our sin is from the east to the west. We want to forget about all of our bad stuff. But you know, as I've gotten older, uh, I really, right now in this temporal life, in this temporary fleshly life, I really don't want to forget where I've come from. Because the redeemed have to remember what they've been redeemed from. I'm glad that God forgets it. But I kind of want to remember because I need to appreciate what God has done for me. I don't want to forget who I am without Christ and think I'm all that, right? I want to remember that there is an immense ugliness to my sin. And as a young person who grew up in church his whole life... I kind of grew up a little self-righteous, thinking, you know, I didn't have sex before marriage, I didn't do drugs, I didn't go to jail, all these things. And you can start thinking, you're a kind of okay person. I'm a moderately good, compassionate, moral, good citizen of a person in the United States. I have good morals, I, I pay my taxes, I pay my tithes, I attend church. I'm a pretty good person. But as far as Scripture is concerned, it says that you are unmerited. You have no leg to stand on before a holy God. That there is nothing good in, in you that's your sinful nature. That there is nothing you could ever do to be right or stand rightly before God. That's righteousness. Means righteous is to stand right before God. There is no righteousness in me. That when God, apart from Christ, would look at me, He would say, Ew, I can't stand that sin. I, I can't near be near it. Maybe I, I love you, but your sin, man, it's so ugly. It's so I don't I can't do anything with it. You can't come in my presence. Because if you did, you would die. You would be cast in outer darkness for all eternity because of the debt of sin. And I have to realize I have a sin nature, that my natural way of thinking and feeling is in rebellion against God's nature. And if you offend me and cuss me out or whatever, you hurt my family, I'm going to have some ill thoughts about you. 
but I can't do anything about it. I can't change my sin nature. Oh, I'd love to think about good thoughts, and I'd love to be able to say I can easily forgive you, but let's just be honest. We're horrible people, apart from the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. We naturally don't think right. And as much as I could put your hand on a piece of table, and, and then I could slide with a hammer, I could say, don't feel that. Don't feel pain. And that's like telling you, hey, don't get angry. Don't feel hate. Don't feel lust. You can't. Because you're sinful. You're broken. We have feelings that are not right and, and thoughts that are not right. And the consequence for those feelings and those thoughts, let's just stay there. Let's not even talk about actions. Because Jesus brings it all back to feelings and thoughts in the New Testament. So just my feelings and thoughts. One sin, one bad feeling, one bad thought was enough to send me to an eternal hell with weeping and gnashing of teeth where the flame does not end and the worm does not die and there is complete outer darkness and it is an unquenchable fire with the devil and his angels. One sin, one thought, one bad feeling. How many bad thoughts and feelings have you had in your years of living? How many times have you had a slipped word or a bad thought or a feeling or even an action towards someone? And I should be falling down in the grace and the love and the compassion of a king's feet and saying, Oh Lord, my debt is immeasurable. It is, it is, it is beyond 10,000 talents. It is beyond 10,000 years wages. It is millions and millions and trillions and billions. The national debt has nothing on our sin. Okay? Let me just be honest. It is, it is so far above numerical value that it is beyond comprehension my sin. I was born into sin. I continue to sin because of the ignorance that is in this fleshly heart. And it says that nothing I could have ever done. I was powerless to erase my past and I was powerless to change my future. And so I needed a savior. I needed to deliver. I needed a rescuing. And that's where Titus, uh, this letter to Titus comes in. And I think about what Paul wrote in Romans 4.20. He said, but where sin increased. Hallelujah. Grace abound the more. Where sin increased, grace abound all the more. And Paul says, and then I saw it. It appeared in the kindness and love of our Savior. Like, can you imagine that, that slave is thinking there? He's headed before the judgment seat. He's about to be condemned into a prison and lost. That he's going to be thrown away. And he's thinking the worst is about to happen. And then it says, then the kindness appeared. He's expecting the gavel to fall down. Guilty. And then all of a sudden it says, Man, that's, that's that moment, man, when, when I realized, I had a revelation, Paul says, that his kindness, his favor. Now, we don't use these words a whole lot because we think, well, that was a graceful little girl dancing on the stage, right? Or that was a, uh, we talk about grace. We don't really use that word very much anymore. Or uh, we even, you know, unmerited favor. We say, well, I'm going to do a favor for you. Well, that kind of fits, but what he's meaning here is he says this grace, this kindness uh, and love and this favor appeared. This unmerited favor was coming to us and appeared to us. It was his kindness and his compassion 
you know, it's been said, you can get it on a sign at Hobby Lobby that says, Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve, but grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. So mercy is the pardon from punishment, and grace is more the blessing. And he says that I had received undeserved favor, undeserved blessing, that His kindness, and that word it says, in His kindness and His love, that means uh, uh, the, the uh, philanthropy of His love, the philanthropic love. And if you know what a philanthropist is, what is it? It's a rich person who's got more than enough money who loves to give it away, right? You know what I'm talking about. Rich people, none of us know what that looks like, right? We have not experienced that probably in our life, but we hear about it of people who are, men they're so rich they just gave a billion dollars to someone. This is it. His billion-dollar giveaway kind of love appeared. This God is so rich and so wealthy in love that it appeared to me. I was a lost cause, but He saw something in my case and He freely pardoned me, even though I didn't deserve it or could afford it. His kindness and His love appeared into my heart. And John says, that's that moment when we saw Him and the Word became flesh. And He dwelt among us. And we recognized Him as part of the Father. Full of the Father. He was full of grace and truth. It was a true revelation of God's grace. And, and John goes on in chapter 1 verse 16. He says, and that's when it was manifested that we saw that moment. That moment of pardon really began when Christ came down. He says, we received what? Grace upon grace. You and I, when Christ came to the earth, it was a statement that God was saying, I'm about to give you Unmerited favor upon unmerited favor. Exponential grace to you. Why? It would be Christ's work. His merit. It wouldn't be our own. It would say that His work, His merit would freely justify us. His his work would declare us legally innocent. In that most high court. And Romans says that we would be justified before God. He would forgive us of our debt of sin through His blood. Through the riches of His grace. That would be poured out to us through Jesus Christ. That's how it would happen. In Ephesians it says that He would lavish His grace upon us. That is the, That word is the, the richness of a very rich person. Who's got so much to get. That He lavished it. We've probably never been lavished in money or, or lavished. And you can come to your children and say, well, I've been lavished in love by my children. I lavish my children in love. That's about the closest we'll probably ever get to understanding that. But when he says he lavished us in love, he emptied out the banks of heaven. Think about that. Please, just for a moment. The storehouse of heaven's love Billions and billions and billions beyond what we could ever comprehend. Heaven's storehouse of love. He emptied it for you and for me. How do you ever respond to a grace and a God like that? He lavished it. If you are saved by works today, it wouldn't be grace. The Bible is very clear how this happens in your life. If the gospel is not grace, it's a different gospel, Paul says in Galatians. And he would go on and tell them, he says, if you try to please God by some religious rules, 
you've fallen from grace because you've got no merit to stand on. And, and when he says, so when I saw the appearing of this grace, Romans, he would add, he said, it would be the kindness of my Lord that would lead me into repentance. It's not the, the, the judgment of God. And if you look at our life today, this is so different than what we understand our natural inhibitions as human, our natural inclination. is I'm going to be tougher on them. I'm going to, and I'm not talking about uh, giving someone who has a drug problem more money. I'm not talking about that and enabling someone to do bad things to themselves or to others. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking, though, about when I see someone who is not deserving of my blessing or my favor, my kindness. He's saying that it wasn't a work that they did or that you've done, but I've poured it out willingly, freely, emptied the storehouse of heaven. And if it's anything you think you can do to receive it, you've fallen from grace. And it was His kindness when I saw that He was willing to go that far from me, I repented. I changed on the inside. And in fact... It wasn't the law or the rules, even the guilt of my own self that changed my heart on the inside. It was the appearance of His grace. It was as if someone came to, kept doing good things for you, and good things for you, and good things for you, and you finally came to your sins and said, Wow, how they must care for me. How they must love me. And all these years I've denied that love and I've, I've, I've hurt that person in my family and I've hurt them and I've hurt them, but I, they've never stopped loving me. And it was that kindness that finally clicked into my heart and I changed. That's what God's illustration here is. It's a change. And He's saying this slave did not change of his heart. He took the grace and he spurned it and he accused another and he held on to those grudges and he didn't forgive that person and he thought so highly of what that person ought to owe him and he thought so highly of himself and his self-righteousness but he forgot the unmerited favor that was given to him. And so that's the unmerited and the favor is the grace and now what does Christ do? So he, without merit, gave me something, his favor. But what did his favor do? It says, he says, look right there, look in that text. He says, what did he do? But according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying this. God, with no merit of yours, put His favor upon you. And what did He do? With His favor, He gave you this great promise. He put His very own Spirit within you. And it didn't come by any work that you could do. And Paul says in Galatians, he says, tell me, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or simply by hearing about God and responding to His truth? No, you did not earn your way right into heaven. You did not earn your way into receiving the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because of your baptism record or because you spoke in tongues or because you did this or that or came to church or did all these great works. It says simply because of Christ's merit. Because His work was all that was required. All that could be paid. There was nothing you could add. It is Christ plus nothing. Somebody say amen. There is nothing we could ever add to Jesus Christ's work on the cross. That is the gospel. If you hear any other pastor, including myself, say, yes, you must get saved, but then you must do this. It is a false gospel according to the book of Galatians. It is Christ plus nothing. It is unmerited, undeserved favor bestowed on you richly by the blood of Jesus alone. It is only Christ 
Now, do I think you should be baptized, attend a church, go for the gifts of the Spirit and all that? Absolutely. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be sanctified in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Go run and follow Jesus and give Him everything. And He'll pour out abundantly all kinds of things in your life. But as far as getting saved is concerned, it is Christ plus nothing. Plus nothing. And so I am saved, Ephesians says, by grace through faith. That faith is simply this. I trust that Christ's work was so much better than mine. It's so good. That I trust that the gospel is almost too good to be true. That His work is what I have faith in. I trust in His work. I trust that God sent His Son by grace. I trust in Christ and Christ alone. And I'm saved by faith through the grace of God. I'm saved by trusting in the grace of God alone. That's how you're saved. I'm not saved by going to church more, praying more, fasting more, getting baptized more, which is a thing today. I'm not saved by getting more into the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not saved by being a good, compassionate, moral, kind person. Those are all the responses to grace. But I'm saved by grace through faith. And when I believe and I trust in His work alone, then it says that I receive this great promise. It says that I am washed I am made new. That Lord literally means I am bathed in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That when He is, when I feel that kindness and I respond to that kindness and I say, Lord, forgive me. I have no leg to stand on before you. I am a horrible, wretched sinner. My goodness, my efforts are as filthy rags. There is nothing I can do. Ever. I can't try harder. I stop trying. I plead at your feet for mercy. And I plead for mercy until I receive mercy. And as I plead my case, he pours out his grace. And then he says, now that you trust in me, receive my Holy Spirit. The Bible says you become born alive in Christ. That there is a born again experience. That there is a newness of life that comes over. You receive his spirit within you that brings a renewal of your mind, of your heart, of your own nature. And he not only uh, says he washes you, but he also regenerates you. There's a beginning washing and then there's a continual washing. That as you trust daily in his grace and through faith, again, if I start trying to try harder and trust in my own nature and trust in my own ability and do things better and be a better Christian on my own efforts and try to earn that, I'm falling from grace. But every day as I trust in His grace that it's sufficient for me, that I'm trusting in His work alone, He renews me in the Holy Spirit. He regenerates me. And that means every day as I die to my works and trust in His works, His Spirit renews within me and I get these things like joy and peace and love and spiritual gifts. And I get these things that enable me to live the life of a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. It gives me the power to live it out. And tied to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.9, he says that he's given you even a holy calling by his grace. The main point I want you to get out of this text is this. Is that he saved you. He saved you. That's the main point. Sometimes we get so complicated in this Christian life, we fail to live out the basics very well. We think, oh yeah, I got that, Pastor. Really? Do we really? Because we'd be a lot different people if we did. We'd change this whole country. 
for Jesus Christ. We change this whole community at least for Jesus Christ. If I really got unmerited favor, I've got no reason to be proud of myself because I know what I've been forgiven from. And does that make you fall more in love with Jesus? Somebody say yes. Makes me fall more in love with Jesus. I remember this uh, story. You know, I mean, how many people have seen the movie Les Miserables in the play or the Broadway or whatever? Uh, it's a good movie uh, if you haven't. I remember the moment that I first saw that. There was a, the movie with Hugh Jackman, actually. And uh, I saw it in school, I think. And in the movie in Les Miserables, uh, Victor Hugo, I think, wrote that. And, and there's this man by the name of Jean Valjean. And he served, I think, 19 years in a French prison. Uh, for committing a crime. And he finally gets out and as he's making his way through the mountains and trying to find a place, nobody will take him in because he's a criminal. They won't feed him in the inn, they won't house him in a hotel or anything like that. And finally, he comes to this really old bishop's house expecting to be turned away. Instead, the bishop lavishes him in grace. He takes him into his house, this hardened criminal who could rob him and kill him and all kinds of things him and his wife. And... Uh, Takes him in and then he feeds him. With, uh, and this is now you have to understand. This is in the midst of a, 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 a economic decline in, in France in this time. There's poverty, and so this priest, this bishop, uh, gives him all kinds of stuff. He gives him his choice wine and soup and bread and cheese, I think, and just begins to lavish him. Says, "Let's just pull out the fine china." And he pulls out for his guests the fine silver, the only valuable thing he has in his home that is left from this economic disaster. He pulls it out and lets this hardened criminal eat with him and his family. And as he pours out and lavishes on grace, he gives the man a place to stay. And that night, that, that old man is turning within Jean Valjean. He thinks about that silver, those plates and that china and all the things he just ate on. And that old nature comes back and in the middle of the night, he steals it and runs away. Off into the night. Well, the next morning comes around, and I'm sure the, the bishop's wife in real life would say, Well, I told you so, what you do you know. Uh, but he finds his heirlooms are gone. They got a knock on the door, and there it is. The, the police have caught this man because they knew that why would a criminal have these things in his hand? And they're pretty sure that's uh, the, the, the bishop's house. And so they bring it back, and they say, We've caught this man. He's in possession of this silver. Is it yours? In that moment, no doubt Jean Valjean was realizing this is the end. I'm going back to prison for the rest of my life. But the moment they're there, standing really before that judgment seat moment, the bishop responds, I can't believe you forgot the candlesticks. Please take the forks and the spoons I gave you and the candlesticks now too. And the police look astonished. You gave this to him? Yes, here, brother, take all these extra. You forgot even more that I had. Let me give you even more and from my cabinet. And he loads him down with more silver. So the police let him loose. And there in that moment, no doubt, humbled by the grace of that bishop, he stands there with all this loot in his hand. And listen to what Victor Hugo writes that this priest would have said. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but good. I bought your soul back from you. I take it back from evil thoughts and deeds in the spirit of hell, and I give it to God. Valjean would be changed by that grace, and later, if you ever read the book or the story, 
He would become the mayor of a small town, build a factory, give jobs to the poor, and raise the daughter of a dying mother. I was astounded because I thought, here's what I thought. I said, I could never do that. It's, a, it's not a true story, but then when I read that and I saw that in that movie, I was just like, oh my gosh, that's the nature of God. And I know I don't have that. I know I wouldn't do that. I'd say, yeah, there he is. Send him to jail. Give me my kind of that. You know, he did da 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 You know, because that nature of you and you would have thought, how dare I try to help somebody out. And this is what happens when you help somebody. And this, I should have known, blah, blah, blah. And I tried it one time. And that's the flesh. But when the Holy Spirit is in my life, and I see the kindness of my God has appeared to me, and I've been forgiven for 10,000 talents, what on this earth could I hold a grudge to? What on this earth could anybody owe me that I could not forgive? And the response of that man is that he then was changed by grace, the kindness of God. The kindness of a Christian led him to repentance. And he was shamed by grace, heaping coals upon his head, Romans says, that we were shamed by grace, and it changed us, and it was the kindness of our God that led us to repentance, and it was grace that changed him. And so if you've got grace, Lord, help us to give grace. And let me briefly talk about that just for a second. Because how has grace changed you? What's the fruit of your life? And do I reflect a person who's been saved by grace and changed by grace? And if I could look at my life this month or this year, has grace changed me? Have I given grace away? Because Paul is saying grace instructs us. If you go on in Titus, he would say a couple of things. He would say that grace would then call you to deny ungodliness. It would call you to give up worldly desires because you've been so changed by it. That's number one. Grace would call you to stop living the way you were. Grace actually instructs you to deny self, sin, and society. Because how can I continue to live like I've been living when I've been forgiven? Some people think grace is a license to sin. But Paul says, no, the appropriate response to grace is that I would say, Lord, help me. How could I go back into that debt? I've been so freely forgiven. So Paul says, it's grace that actually changes a person on the inside. And that's number two. It says, then grace doesn't call you just to deny things. It causes you to do things. It calls you to live sensibly. He says, it causes you to live righteously and godly in this present age. Titus 3.8 says, it causes you to carefully engage in good deeds. So I have a responsibility. Like this... Slave in this story, like John Valjean, I have a responsibility. If I have been poured out on grace, God's poured His grace out on me. I have a responsibility now to pour it onto others. My neighbors, my co-workers, my spouse, those ignorant family members. They're all deserving of grace. And again, if I truly love someone, no. I will not enable them in any way to hurt themselves or hurt others. That, would, that we believe in boundaries, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, oh, just keep forgiving and enabling people. That's not, they have to respond to grace too. But my job is not to determine their guilt or what they're worthy of. My job is to say, so far as it depends on me, God, may my heart be one to lavish grace. I'm responsible to deny self 
and to do good works because of the grace of God. And one author says this, God, the gospel must find expression in the life of a believer. Because the result of being fellowship, the result of being in fellowship with God is abundant grace. You know, if you look at the early church, and I'll close it up with this, if you look at the early church, you find one of the main things they were known for is abundant grace. It says in Acts 2 from the very beginning that they had favor with all the people. They had all kinds of favor. It says that Stephen, on the very day he was going to be stoned and killed, he was full of the Holy Spirit, but he was also full of grace. It was kind of one of the hallmarks of the early church that they were so impressed, so amazed, so astounded by this Christ Messiah, they could not help but get him away. I want to look at my life and I want you to examine your life today. And ask yourself, who are the undeserving around us? Who are those who are ignorant in their sin? One author says, the best way a local church has to witness to the lost is through the sacrificial service of its members. The unmerited part is, maybe I need to serve in my church or serve in my community. Maybe there's people in the world, they, you know, they don't deserve it. But I give it anyway. It's unmerited. And the favor part is how can I give blessing or grace to people? I have to remember that verse that says, you know, God desires mercy or compassion, not sacrifice. God's not interested in your church attendance. He's not interested in your record of giving. Should you attend? Should you give? Absolutely. But He doesn't desire just those good efforts. He desires you give grace. We should avoid sin and legalism. But I should be a philanthropist, just like God. And look at the storehouse that's been given to me and say, God, You've abundantly blessed me with the heavenly storehouse. I have enough grace left over to give. And the best thing you can give someone is the promise of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's the theme to come. But this week, this month, I want someone to ask us, why are you being so kind to me? Why are you doing the things you do? And you know what our response ought to be? Because I love Jesus. Because He saved me by His grace.